Feedback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, welcome, welcome, ladies and gentlemen. The Wednesday edition of Talk Back is underway, and it's brought to you this morning by Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery, where you will find authentic New York bagels and pastries all the way from Little Italy at the Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery, located on North Reserve. Also brought to you by Phillips Janitorial, where they offer residential and commercial cleaning. And believe me, no job is too big or too small, so if it needs to be cleaned, here's the number to call for Phillips Janitorial. 406-260-6617. The views and opinions expressed on TalkBack are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Hey, welcome aboard, everybody. Glad to have you along. We have pretty much a full house in here this morning. Nick Christensen in his assigned spot. Good morning. Hey. And joining us also in the studio this morning are our friend Bob Seiden-Schwartz of the Montana World Affairs Council. Hi, Bob. Uh, Good morning, Peter, Nick, and Missoula. You bet. And uh, our special guest in studio, not a stranger to talk back, but it's been a while since Bradley Layton has been here today. Bradley, welcome. Good to have you back. Great to be here, Peter. Thank you so much. You betcha. Okay, Bob. Well, you know, we we were just talking out in the hallway, and uh, we were talking about this particular topic and brad said contagious and i said something else and contentious so this is contentiously contagious this topic and discussion setting the stage when you have massive change that's taken place globally in terms of a, a particular issue in this case this transformation from fossil fuels to renewables it truly is a contentious opportunistic um topic and the importance of having somebody like Bradley in here today to be able to give a little bit of insight and color to this is again the wonder of the show and the opportunity that we have so I want to thank you for being here so uh, let's get started with what's happening right now with your business you run a business Mm -hmm. and you cross into many different sectors and businesses and folks so just give us a little bit of an overlay for the moment of what you're doing with your specific business. Sure, so I have a, I have a few businesses in Montana and they all, um, they all focus in some way or another on sustainability. So whether it's the zero waste thing that I worked on a few years ago or converting to renewable energy like we used to focus on at the Missoula College, mm-hmm. uh, that's the main focus. But in terms of the projects we were discussing more recently in terms of the transition to renewable energy, and we've been talking about this for years, and, and, and now I think it is coming to the forefront. What we're seeing uh, currently in Missoula is a, is a huge demand for solar. It's just, it's just one kind of obvious trend that we're seeing. You drive around town, you see the solar panels on a lot of buildings. So the company that I run, I just call it Human Powered Future, and there's a little bit of, a, you know, thinking at some point, you know, when when the grid goes down and, and the fossil fuels run out, what do we do? Well, we'll be, you know, sort of back to uh, maybe not back to, you know, pushing carts around. But uh, that's that's why I call it that. But in terms of the, the projects we've been working on, we've been doing a lot of residential solar. We've also been doing a lot of commercial solar. Yeah. And uh, the other two projects that I mentioned, and we can talk about it at any scale, another one is a utility-scale project that we're working out uh, in the eastern part of the state for the Northern Cheyenne Tribe. And then this other um, project that we've been working on at a power plant in Montana as well, a coal-fired power plant. And, and I want to get to both of those 
Let's have a little discussion about sustainability. Sure. Can can one make the argument right now that sustainability is in fact here today? We've got sustainability, and, and, you, and, and you might want to explain your definition of sustainability, exactly. if you don't yeah. mind. Yeah. I mean, well, we've sure. got sustainability of natural gas, of coal, of oil, of nuclear energy, of different types of sources, which, depending on what side of the insight and argument you're on, there may be decades left of these resources. So from your education and work, let's talk about what sustainability actually means for you and what the audience may understand that to be. Right, right. So when I when I first started getting passionate about this topic, you know, it was 2004, um, we were going to war in Iraq, and, you know, it seemed as if the United States might have some interest in um, oil. I know there were, there were talks about, you know, gosh, you know, why might Saddam Hussein might, might be selling oil in euros when we all know that is not allowed. Um, and so there's certainly money involved, there's national security involved, et cetera. And so, you know, as an engineer, I wanted to educate myself, well, what's the big deal about oil? Who, you know, what, why, what's the big deal? So I sat down and wrote a paper, it came out in 2008, about the energy density of different fuels, different energy sources. And you could look at hydro, you could look at nuclear, you could look at geothermal, biomass. I mean, the, the list is, is almost endless. And it turns out, Bob, that um, the energy density of oil is, is billions of billions times greater than solar. And that's why, I mean, and, and so okay, that's why. I've got why. to ask sure. you to explain. Okay. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I eat this stuff for breakfast, so uh, I, I, get, bl- I get it. Blood is thicker than water. Right. So let's, let's talk about and oil. oil. Oil is <laughs> denser than you and me. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, yeah. So let's talk about energy density from a technical standpoint, because this is a very yeah. significant part of the discussion that we have to carry forward. Absolutely. And I want the audience to remember as we're going through this. Right, right. So the analogy I like to make, so all these fossil fuels have, have gotten there. I, I was explaining to someone like, oh, really? Uh, that coal is dead trees? Like, yeah, that coal is dead trees. You know, they've, they've been underground for a long time. It's mainly carbon, and now we're digging it up. Oh, that, that oil, that's from, you know, dead plant matter, animal matter. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it was underground. Now we're digging it up. And so the analogy, and I'm going to use this at uh, City Club in a couple weeks that I like to use, is imagine you had a rich uncle, and this uncle's going to give you a dollar a minute from the time you're born. Here's a dollar a minute. And, nice. Right? Compounding. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Well, and so at some point, you want to retire, uh, but you, know, you realize, okay, at some point, I don't get this dollar anymore. I'm going to just spend it. And so... The question is, if, if instead of dollars, you're being given fossil fuels, you know, packed underground, at what point do you get to retire? And let's just say you're going to live to be 100. You're going to die happy on your 100th birthday. When do you get to retire? When do you get to start digging into this nice, juicy bank account that's been mm-hmm. accumulating, you know, either for um, 100 years or the history of the planet? And most people guess, oh, you know, 60, 70, 80 well, the answer in, in terms of the ratio at which fossil fuels are deposited over as many years as life has been on the planet, and most estimates say, you know, one to two billion years, and the rate at which we're digging it up, and if you look at the number of years, you're saying decades, centuries, uh, it's about 300 years. So the ratio, you get to retire about five minutes before you die on your birthday. Okay. So the ratios are pretty big. So that's, that's, that's one way to define 
sustainability with an economic uh, analogy, if if you will. So we're 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 digging those fossil fuels up a lot faster than they went in the ground. You bet. Well, we're up, we're up against a break, but uh, one one question, if I could just throw it out, and you could don't have to address it right now, perhaps before the end of the program. Uh, my my question is. How, how how do you differentiate between organic change mm. to sustainable renewable resources okay as opposed to the force change right which which is what the government seems to want to be able to do in, right. in other words we're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna dig any more oil forget it right. you're, gonna, you're gonna have to switch right away and ah and everybody's freaking out and and there's all sorts of bills and and congress changes hands and mm-hmm. all of it has to do with energy right so anyway if we could talk about that when we come back too. that sounds it's, great or, or sometime during the conversation absolutely yeah and by the way all the phone lines are open if you have i know you've got questions or comments about this i know you do Brad Bradley Layton is here to answer those, along with Bob Seiden Schwartz. Uh, the number is 721-1290. We will be right back. Hi, I'm Dr. Willie Thomas at Family Vision Care. Hey, welcome back to Talk Back. 721-1290 is our number. The Montana World Affairs Council on the radio underway. Bob Seiden Schwartz joining uh, Bradley Layton here in the studio. Uh, we're talking about uh, uh, renewables versus, uh, you know, standard regular stuff, fossil fuels. And we're just we're just opening up the, the, the Pandora's box, if you will. And and let, let's continue well, the conversation. Let me ask a question, Peter. Yes. Uh, and I don't know, unless I'm missing something, I don't think you had a chance to address that before the break. Right. So if you want to restate the question, or yeah, if you're but, comfortable. basically it's organic change. In other words, change that comes around naturally because, okay, we're running out of fossil fuels. Let's get started on, on, on renewables, renewables and, and they both can coexist for a while until one drops off and the other takes over on, on a more organic, natural basis. Right. Rather than President Biden coming into office and saying, no more pipelines. We're going directly and, and the whole world basically freaking out. And then, of course, the invasion of Ukraine by Russia complicated everything. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is there any way for that to happen? Right. So and, and to restate that, it sounds like it, it's basically letting free market forces right. sort of govern what ends up happening rather than somebody trying to govern or dictate what ends right. up happening. And so what, what I've seen, at least, you know, when we're talking about solar a little bit, is that Solar has reached, you know, so-called grid parity with uh, coal plants. So I, I know that, you know, both, I think even going back to World War II, uh, the federal government had to subsidize the fossil fuel industry. It's like, no, we, we really need to get this stuff out of the ground and, and get uh, oil flowing in, into our military. And so, and I think to some extent that's probably still true, uh, but there are also uh, subsidies for renewables as well you know like like i've talked about this this uh project that we have that uh is more than likely going to happen with the northern cheyenne those are federal dollars to allow the the tribe to gain some kind of energy independence by you know making their own energy right right there on their own land so uh there there are typically federal subsidies and i and i seems to me like the answer is you know let's let's let these compete rather than um, trying to quit cold turkey on someone because that on on one particular technology because that can lead to economic disruptions. The the, the points you make that I, I will state from somebody that has been in that private sector for decades is I don't know of a time when there wasn't a mix of government and private sector. Right. This idea that the private sector exists completely on its own is not a reality and probably never has been. And these things kind of ebb and flow, and that's part of the tension 
that arises as well as a confusion confusion if you're looking at this as a consumer mm-hmm. okay I'll tell you what we are uh, let, let, let's get uh, let's get jeff on the line jeff has been holding jeff good morning uh, you're on with bradley layton and bob seidenschwartz go ahead hey good morning uh i i totally support the idea there's never been a free market a completely free market there's always um, some interaction between the public and the private sector. So, um, and it's necessary. I mean, you know, robber barons, uh, you know, are, are a good example of that oh, yeah. sort of thing. So you do, you do need you do need some regulation. But my question kind of comes around. Uh, if you can give us an update on a couple of things, and one of those is uh, the state of modular nuclear. You know, small nuclear plants out there, whether using uranium or thorium or uh, any other materials if you can give us an update and also as you were talking about renewable the thought about i know a lot of places have started burning trash in power plants to generate electricity and is there is there any uh progress in that sort of thing in the united states i know it can be kind of hazardous in terms of releasing pollutants into the air you know heavy metals and other things we don't want to have out in in the air but uh is there any progress in doing that sort of thing? So nuclear and trash. Well, Bradley has actually bought a visual aid with him today. So <laughs> what, what you might describe what Brad, you've got Brad, there. Uh, hold that up so the audience can see that. Well, yeah, here, here was the camera. Yeah, yeah. The camera. Oh, I didn't see that before. Yeah, yeah. So there, I, I will speak to both of those. And the, the modular nucle- nuclear, and, you know, you brought up thorium in particular. And so... I, I couldn't tell you all of the history on this, but there, but thorium, you know, one reason that uranium was chosen as sort of the fuel of choice over thorium is because you could make plutonium with it. And you, and it's much easier to make a, a bomb with plutonium than it is uh, uh, anything else. So, in, in fact, I used to work at the Savannah River site in, in Georgia and it was as a fire protection engineer. It was just basically going around and making sure that uh, these burn, buildings with nuclear waste in them weren't going to... To burn down, and I, I would love to see modular nuclear happen. In fact, this this project that I was mentioning a little bit ago that we had in a, at a power plant in Montana, there is a certain amount of radioactive material in ash. Is is it a lot? No. Is it is it economically recoverable? Maybe. And we did get some federal funding. Uh, to look into that, we turned that. So into you have a, a jar full of ash. There. Well, this is just in the fireplace, <laughs> but I thought I'd bring it as a, as a reminder to talk okay, of, yeah, to yeah. talk about gotcha. this project. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I I think modular nuclear would be a place to go. And then that's not something we're working on actively, but it's certainly something that's come up in discussion. And then in regard to uh, waste to energy, I've I've been to several plants, uh, like Kent County, Michigan, said no more landfills. We're gonna we're gonna burn it all, and so they've got a, maybe a ten megawatt plant there. Uh, the garbage goes in. It's, it's fascinating to watch, and just metal after metal comes out of it. And, and the plant operator was pretty proud. He goes, "Yeah, you know, in the trash we've burned, we could build two, you know, USS Gerald R. Ford battleships out of that iron that we recovered that didn't go into the landfill." So is that economical? When you're looking at these types of projects, and yes, we can turn trash into metals. But what about the economics, which tends to get to the heart of many right. of these discussions? Right. So I called Covanta. In fact, just I was just back in the Midwest over the, over the holidays, and I drove past a Covanta site. 
I called Covanta. Hey, Covanta, can we set up a, a waste energy plant in Montana? He's like, well, no. How many people are out there in Montana? Only a million? No, if you were calling from Miami, maybe, but... It's it's an economy of scale right. thing, just in terms right. of collection and, and, and that issue. So so as part of our discussions ongoing, and, and this will not change, great ideas, mm-hmm. good intent, mm-hmm. uh, heartfelt. At the end of the day, my observation is it has to make sense economically. Right. Now, we subsidize wind. We subsidize solar. Uh, they were looking at taking away some of the subsidies for wind here recently, mm-hmm. and they renewed that. So sometimes to get something started, mm-hmm. to our point earlier, subsidies are a part of the system. And sometimes it's for national security right. purposes, for economic. So businesses are subsidized all the time. But at the end of the day, you have to prove proof of concept. they got to be able to stand on their own at some point. Yeah, That's some, right. right. And I've got one other example, too. If we've got time before the break. Well, let, let, let's take our break now. Jeff, okay. thanks for the call. Really, really very intuitive call. We're going to come right back. Uh, by the way, all the phone lines are open at 721-1290. We'll continue with our conversation with Bob and Bradley Layton right after this. Hi, I'm Carson Kressley. Of all the most valuable resources in the world, kindness is the most precious. For more than 140 years, American Humane has been working to make the world a kinder place for animals. Rescuing those caught in disasters, protecting animals on our farms, on the silver screen, and the world's remarkable and endangered species who need our care to help them survive. All of us can make a difference by making humane choices at the supermarket, in our choice of entertainment, and by supporting conservation and rescue efforts. It's not hard at all. Make being kind a lifestyle choice and visit AmericanHumane.org for simple ways you can help build a more caring, compassionate, and humane world for animals and for all of us. And we are back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number. Bob Seidenschwartz here in the studio along with Bradley Layton. Now, what what is the name of your company, if you don't mind sharing that? So my company, I call it Human Powered Future. And I'm a licensed professional engineer in the state of Montana. So I wear a lot of different hats under that. But in solar, you know, I'll I'll work with Jordan Solar. I'll work with SBS Solar as as a professional engineer. And Satic Solar is another company that I do a lot of work with here in town. Uh, but the, the other company that I was going to mention that we started a, a couple of years ago, we called it Final Cycles Montana. And the idea was to take all of this plastic that we see and maybe turn it back into oil. So you, you can sort of sit down and do a calculation. Okay, if there's this, many, this much plastic waste, you know, here's my Rice Krispie wrapper <laughs> here. And where, what am I going to do with this when I'm, when I'm done with it? Right. And there, there are processes for turning this back into oil. It's pyrolysis. You heat it, uh, maybe mix a little bit of hydrogen in, and, and voila, here, come, here comes your oil. And, in fact, we had a small system. It was just a, a, pl- a mini plant that you sit on the back of a trailer it was built in China. We might have spent fifteen thousand dollars on it, and it would it would work. You know, it was it was tough to keep it going. You know, it was sort of a sort of a, a clunker. But you realize um, you're going to sit there for eight hours, and maybe at the end of the day, you've got a, a, a quart of oil. Okay, so what? <laughs> what's the <laughs> not very economical? Not, exactly not cost, very economical. Not cost effective. Right. Yeah. So similar with that Covanta 
uh, thing that I was mentioning earlier, if, if you don't have enough scale to, to pull something off, the, the labor costs end up eating into whatever energy recovery you might get. Now, this, this raises for me the issue of uh, energy efficiency. Mm-hmm. And how, if you look over the last couple of decades, we use about as much oil today as we did oh, yeah. a couple of decades ago. Now, yet the economy has grown. Right. Exponentially. Right. So what accounts for that, which kind of in some ways signals some improvements of efficiency, productivity and such. So um, it seems like in some respects we're kind of on the right track. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe, you know, in a, in a word, Bob, information, you know, we are in the information age. And if you look at sort of, you know, where a lot of money is flowing, it's flowing into these so-called tech firms. I don't really like the word tech firms. I really, you know, maybe information tech firms and and we're all aware of who they are. But the, you know, a lot of the indications show that maybe about 10 years ago, the sort of the energy per capita. So, so how much energy it takes per person to sort of keep our lives running, our technology running actually peaked. So, you know, is that a good thing? Is it a bad thing? It, It might mean Either, oh, the standard of living went down because we don't have as much energy at our disposal, or I think, as you were mentioning, we became more efficient. And that could be because, you know, we can work from home. We've got the Internet. We can talk on the phone, things like that. Could it it be that we have fewer people? I don't think so. That's going up. That's going up. Globally. It is. Okay. Uh, Yeah, you can take country by country to determine. Because I'm just thinking about the American birth rate. Well, no, we're actually still on a positive birth rate. Are we really? Wow. Yes, we are. Now, it's slowed. There's many different reasons. But if you look at Europe, Japan, South Korea, various countries, they're actually in a declining birth rate, which is not good economically, but we're also coming up to. No, no. We've got a little bit of time. So, if, if I'm looking at statistically, the demand for oil mm-hmm. is expected to increase, but I think people would be surprised at how small a percentage right. that increase actually is. Where the challenge is, is a global population, especially in developing countries, that are on a different scale in terms of consumption. Mm-hmm. We have a very high standard of living, and we also have an enormous amount of consumption per capita. It's about 6x the global average. Right. So compare that to a Vietnam or these other countries. This is where the challenge really is. And I see where the benefits of this diversified energy type of environment really becomes important because those are the countries that are going to rapidly be increasing their consumption, i.e. everything that's required to make goods and services. We did something like that in Sri Lanka a few years ago. So Sri Lanka is, you know, in a little island, it's not connected to a grid at all in India, sitting right there, but there's there's no electrical connection. And so after the tsunamis and the civil wars, we actually did a little bit of education to help some of the, the orphans there sort of get back off the ground and, and build their own little uh, microgrid. So that's... Um how, how is... How, we have 30, yeah. 30 seconds sure. before we have to take a break. How, sure. how has that gone? It's, it's gone well. I still get Christmas cards from, <laughs> from these uh, young ladies. And I, I could not believe how intent they were in, in the classroom, too. We were doing this all remotely, of course. You know, I was there on the, on the computer, and one of them's 
spoke English better than the others. And she was just there taking notes. I'm like, gosh, I wish all my students were like that. So. Right. <laughs> we're we're going to take a break. Come right after, after the top of the hour. The phone lines are open at 721-1290. We would absolutely love to have you be a part of this conversation. With Bradley Layton and Bob Seiden-Schwartz, uh, we'll be back after the top of the hour. Hello, this is... This is Talkback, 721-1290 or 1-800-568-5309. This is News Talk KGVO, AM 1290 and 98.3 FM. KGVO, Missoula's news and weather station. Hey, welcome back, everybody. It is hour number two of Talk Back Underway right now. Brought to you this morning by Phillips Janitorial. You've got residential and commercial cleaning that needs to get done. I just give them a call because there no job is too big or too small for Phillips. Call 260-6617. Get a free estimate there. And uh, while you're on your way, uh, again, uh, stop by the Brooklyn Bagel and Bakery for authentic New York bagels and pastries from Little Italy right here in Missoula at Brooklyn Bagel. And bakery located out on North Reserve. The views and opinions expressed on Talkback are not those of the staff, management, or advertisers. Okay, we are back. We're talking about energy, and we've got Bradley Layton here in the studio along with Bob Seiden, Schwartz, Nick Christensen over there taking your phone calls this morning. We need some, by the way. We'd love to have some some more input from you folks. Gentlemen, take it away. When you were talking about Sri Lanka, it, uh, there's a part of the conversation that often gets overlooked, but I think demands some attention. The standard of living in the world is unlike at any time historically. Mm-hmm. That is a direct result of the uninterrupted flow of what comes from fossil fuels. And now the beginning, of course, of what I re- refer to as renewables. So that needs acknowledgement in terms of uplifting people. And that story about Sri Lanka, I want you to expand on that a little bit. Because that's one of the great challenges that many of these countries are at a whole different level economically, standard of living and such. Without electric generation, the fact that this group of women mm-hmm. is not going to be able to form no, they don't have and a, develop independence and a business mm-hmm. that has some independence associated. Yeah, they don't have a they don't have a coal mine or anything like that. Right, I mean, right. There, there's no natural resources to draw from. That's so right. I, I want you to talk about that because that's an important, I think, insight as to what we do need to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but there's a there's a fantastic book. Uh, he's a professor in, in Canada, but he but he gets right to the point of what you're just talking about, Bob. It's like what actually runs the world, and it is energy. And the Haber-Bosch process was actually uh, factored fairly largely in that as well in terms of that's how we actually eat. There's so, there's so much of that uh, nitrogen flowing in, you know, from the fossil fuel industry flowing into what we actually eat to make our population as large as it is. And, yeah, with, the, with a small uh, country like Sri Lanka, island country, their, their main resources were hydroelectric and wind. And so hydroelectric is, is nice, just like we have here in Montana. Mm-hmm. You, it's, it's sort of a base load. It can, it can serve the, the base load. But uh, as you were saying, these young women, they wanted to start a business. You know, what am I going to do when I, when I grow up? And so they, they saw that as an opportunity, as, as a skill to build. And, and they did get their panels up. And the struggle they had, and it's the, it's the same struggle that we see here in Montana a lot, is it has to pay back. It has to pay off. And so the, the, the customer is usually, you know, looking at the computer screen, hey, how much energy did I make today? Is that money back in, in, in my pocket or not? And they, they had some struggles with their utility as well in terms of, you know, getting paid for the energy that they were producing. In the end, did it work out for them? 
I, I like I said, I've, it's mainly been sort of a, a personal Christmas card type sure. of, of relationship, but um, I'll, I'll certainly check in and let you know the next time I'm on the show. And, and this is not abnormal to hear a story like this. When you're going through a transformational process that's disruptive, mm-hmm. there's going to be some wins, there's going to be some losses, mm-hmm. some starts and stops, but throughout this, you get to kind of take apart and look at what's working and what's not. And if there's one thing we're particularly good at is innovating, mm-hmm. which is a big part of what you do. Right. And so one innovation that I didn't really expect to, to see, you know, for a long time, you know, getting back to the, the thorium reactors and the waste to energy, I was just fascinated by how uh, the, these power plants work. So I, I managed to get a uh, managed to get a, a tour and going inside of some of these power plants it's amazing, you know. It, it's like uh, it's like walking onto a, a spaceship, and, the, and these things were, you know, they were built 30, 40, 50 years ago. And but the the level of technology in there and the expertise is just phenomenal to be able to see. And as I as I mentioned, the the way we actually got in there was um, you've, you've probably heard on the news where uh, an ash pond, you know, gets into a river or buries a city or this, that, and the other. And so I think during the Obama administration, they said, well, gosh, we got to, we got to clean these things up, you know, clean, clean up that, that dirty ash. And then when we transitioned to the Trump administration, they said, well, gosh, guys, if you're going to go and touch that stuff, you know, get, get something good out of it. So, you know, there are literally billions of dollars worth of metals in some of these ash ponds. And, you know, again, back to the economic question, is it economically viable to go and and pick those up? An analogy I used to think about when when I was growing up is it is it worthwhile to bend over and uh, and pick up a penny, uh, it, or well maybe not? How about a nickel? How about a, how about a dollar? Well, how about mm-hmm. if there's a hundred dollar bill lying there? So so and again, getting back to the energy return on energy invested, and you know as I mentioned, we we did get a lot of these metals out of the coal ash that that's just right here in Montana. And that becomes a national security issue as well. You know, 90% of the world's rare earth metals, and just think magnets. I was going to bring a, a magnet in as well, but it might stick to something in here. So, but, There's you know, plenty the, of metal in yeah, here. Yeah, the, the, you know, the magnets, even just to run the, the doorknobs on, on your door, you know, requires mining something, neodymium, presidymium, or, or two metals that are sitting there. Again, not in great quantities, but... Can we do that with existing mining permits right here in right. Montana? Right. Yes, we are for guests to break. Uh, well, yeah, we, we have a phone call. I'm sorry. Uh, forgive me, Nick. I wasn't oh, looking. Sorry. My apologies. We're going to, Tim, if you don't mind, we're up against a break. We're going to come right back. Colonel Tim is waiting, and we're going to come right back after this quick timeout. Bradley Layton is our guest, and Peter's off in outer space. So <laughs> that, that requires a lot of energy, too. Yeah, that's right. We're going to come right back. My apologies. For over 100 years, Missoula's office. We are back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is our number. And let's go right to the phones uh, to get Colonel Tim on the line. Uh, Colonel Tim, thank you for your patience. Thank you for holding. Go ahead. You're on with Bradley Layton. Hi. Yes, good morning. Uh, yes, Mr. Layton. Yes. Uh, I was uh, kind of curious about uh, what's going on with oil. And uh, I noticed you've been calling it uh, fossil fuels. Uh one thing I've been looking at is, I don't know if you've ever heard of an uh, Austrian-born astro- astrophysicist named Thomas Gold. Thomas Gold? Uh, he published, yeah, 
he published a, uh, an article called The Deep Hot Biosphere. Oh, yeah. A paper that postulated that coal and oil are produced not by the composition of organic materials, but in fact are abiogenic, the product of tectonic forces, i.e. deeply embedded hydrocarbons being brought up and through the Earth's mantle and transformed into the present states by bacteria living in the Earth's crust. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, just, I, I, I mean, a lot of people know what's on the Earth's crust, but they don't know what's deep into the Earth and uh, what's, what are the forces actually going on there. So uh, that's one question I have. And then, of course, another question I have is, is uh, oil companies and they're buying up patents where you know where uh, backyard mechanics all of a sudden uh, develop uh, hydrogen that can be injected into uh, the pistons of mm-hmm. of gates uh, and then all of a sudden they get uh, twice the mileage right. uh, out of a simple tank of gas. Sure. So those are a couple of questions I have. Great. That's that that that's the old Tucker syndrome, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Car maker. Yeah, go go ahead, please. Yeah, so those are thanks, those Tim. Are, yeah, thank you. Those are great questions, and one of one of my one of my regrets is that I don't have a um, I don't have a deep geology background. If I if I had to do all over again, I'd go join my son who's down at uh, Colorado School of Mines and, and dig into some of these geology courses. And I, I think that you know it's fascinating to think that there might have been some carbon there underground that might be coming to the surface. One thing I discovered when I was in grad school, I was doing a lot of biotech and I was fascinated Mm by collagen. And I I came to realize that a lot of these oil companies actually owned the genomes of some of these tube worms that you see at the thermal vents. And and so I was like, gosh, that's kind of strange to have this, uh, the the DNA of a tube worm patented by Exxon. That's, you know, normally NIH goes out and does it with public funds, but uh, I I can see, I can see where you're going with that for sure. And I I will look up that Thomas Gold. That's fascinating. And then in regard to the hydrogen, uh, we, we still have, the University of Montana's hydrogen electrolyzer right here in town. And it's it's kind of interesting you mentioned that. I had some guys call me uh saying, Hey, we're heading to Burning Man and we're you know, we're down there at Burning Man and we wanna we wanna be green, dude. And you know, what can you hook us up with some hydrogen? And so so I you know, I started doing my calculation and, and to make hydrogen, uh, you know, to make green hydrogen, you need to, you have to split it, you have to electrolyze it just like you did in chemistry and you you know, set the chemistry lab on fire back in high school <laughs> but um i i started you know doing you know you know a 60 kilowatt solar array first of all and you're gonna have to put that on a semi and get it down there so i said you know hey how what's your budget here he's like yeah i'm thinking like four grand whoopsies you know try a quarter million dollars for you know a sixty thousand dollar solar array so um uh are we there with hydrogen you know no does it does it work sure it'll it'll give you a kick but in terms of the economics uh, I think we we might see that Mitsubishi uh, project, you know, w- with electrolyzing the Gordon Butte uh, mine, sending mm-hmm. that via the pipeline, et cetera, et cetera. I, I think that's on the horizon, but those are those are you know big scale projects that we might see. I go back to our first opening comment of contagious conflicts. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, our new our, we've coined a new term here. Um, <laughs> make no mistake, and I think I know where Colonel Tim was going with this. It's not any different when you go back to the 
automobile industry in its early stages and developments, and a certain city wanted to put in trains. Mm, yeah. And the city is Los Angeles. Right. We'll tell the story later. We got some calls we need to get yes, to. Yes, we do. We have Harry waiting very patiently. Harry, th- uh, thanks for your patience. Harry, you're on with Bradley, Layton, and Bob. Go ahead. Yeah, good morning. <clears throat> yeah, Bob, you were talking about this. It's, it comes down to economics, but sometimes doesn't it... Uh, other things override economics. I mean, the whole reason for switching over to renewable is because of the uh, damage to the climate or the ch- climate change. And I mean, you say, well, to wait on the like for uh, the market forces to do it. That I'm thinking of like chlorofluorocarbons. Market forces. I mean, they worked great. They were cheap. They did everything they were supposed to. The only thing is, they destroyed the ozone layer. And if you were, waited on market forces, we would have no ozone layer. I mean. It, now, we could probably make economics a factor by, say, uh, carbon taxes, which makes pay, people pay for the damage they're doing, but that's not, they don't have a whole lot of proponents on that front. Yeah, the, the, like, the damage is still being done, right? Yeah, right. But at least it would encourage people to pay, uh, burn less, but still, I mean, yeah, the damage is still being done. And like I say, there's not a lot of proponents for that, as far as I can tell. All right. Well, thanks, Harry. Yeah, and, uh, gentlemen, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, uh, Harry, I think I was pretty clear that economics is a part of the discussion mm-hmm. in the equation. It's not the sole issue, right. but let's not ignore how significant it is. And I fully acknowledge the cooperation and need for federal and private sector. Uh, look, we all grew up, uh, or in this room, old enough to remember acid rain. Uh, the companies probably would not have acted unless the Fed stepped in. And put certain standards in place. So uh, I'm fully appreciative of when that aspect of our lives needs a little bit of uh, kind of leveraging and kind of defining what is okay and not okay. Yeah, it's true. And I, I think about this question frequently and this, the CFCs and the ozone layer that was um, it, it was quite evident, quite obvious. I mean, you couldn't actually see it with your eyes necessarily the same way you maybe could see acid rain eroding some of these uh, limestone statues in Europe, for example. And, you know, climate change. I, I, I was thinking about that a little bit in terms of maybe sort of a, a Pascal's wager type of thing. You know, if you go back, you know, Pascal's like, well, is it it's probably safer just to go ahead and believe in God because if, if I don't, you're talking about getting into heaven. You know, I, I bet you know, the alternative is bad. And so, you know, what, what's hedge, pa- hedge your bets, hedge your bets. So what, <laughs> what's, what's uh, sort of, you know, Pascal's wager in terms of, of climate change? Is it, is it better to, to bet that it is happening or, or to bet that it's not? And that, that's one way I've, I've right. sort of started to try to think about uh, that long term anyway. We're up against another break and Mr. Wingnut is waiting to visit. We have several other phone lines open, by the way, 721-1290 or one 800 Five six eight five three zero nine. By the way, I haven't mentioned this. We should often, if you have the KGVO app, you don't have to use the phone. Just use the message us button. Type in whatever you'd like. Boom, and uh, Nick will get it and pass it along to our guest. And uh, that means if you don't have the KGVO app, you should download it. You can also win free bagels once a week. So we're going to come right back with uh, more of Talk Back right after this. Hey everyone, it's Nick. All right, we are back on uh, Talk Back seven two one twelve ninety, and obviously I missed something, Bob. Well, well Peter, <laughs> that's been kind of the theme of the day for you here. Oh, wow! And it was—it's been nice hey, knowing. It's nice yeah, knowing, Bob. Bob but, is done. This is it. This is his last show, folks. Thank you very much. <laughs> no. All right, I guess the studio is Bradley Layton. Uh, we do have another caller on the line, and uh, Wing Nut, Mister Nut. Good morning. You're on with Bradley Layton. Go ahead. 
But uh, good morning. I don't know. Uh, the phone line is extremely fuzzy. Can you yeah, understand we hear, me? We hear you just fine. Okay, great. It's also cleared up. You know, I, I am all for a portion of energy being produced by, an ex, you know, exploration of, of the resources that you're talking about. And um, you know, please don't take this as an adversarial, but there are a number of questions that come to my mind, and some of them uh, you probably won't have an answer and opinion on. But um, uh, nonetheless, I think they're worth asking. So I'm just going to you know, give you a list of questions. If you can jot some of them down, uh, this will go pretty quick here. Uh, it, you know, it seems to me that there are the potential for more reliable, more consistent sources of energy, like fusion, fission, you know, the geothermal, um, versus the atmospheric dependency of both you know, solar and, and wind. Uh, secondly, uh, you know, we are currently involved in a, in a war that is, the, the war machine is driven by petroleum. And one thing of the human condition, there's things that are certain, you know, death, taxes, and wars. Uh, how, how is a, um, how do you envision a renewable, sustainable energy system prov providing a defense in a petroleum-driven war? Uh, thirdly, I, because uh, you discussed the, the, you know, you mentioned the rare metals. Could you discuss the rare metal mining that's taking place in Africa and Asia and the horrific con uh, environmental consequences going on there? Thirdly, uh, could you discuss the wisdom of China-produced tech you know, technology and equipment being, you know, us being reliant on them and them having access to the technology within our machines? Thirdly, um, you know, you mentioned... You know, Sri Lanka, and what Sri Lanka comes to my mind is the recent um, turmoil in Sri Lanka because they chose to follow the World Economic Forum's um, ideas on fertilizers, which caused a oh, food yeah. shortage, which caused riots in the city. Yeah, and we see the same thing going on in Northern Europe. Uh, and I think lastly, I'd like to ask how much of your company's revenues you know, come from uh, government sources? Wow. So not, not adversarial. Just <laughs> no, those are all truly great good questions. Question. I think we just took up the rest of the show uh, trying to answer these. But uh, Brad, ha have at it. And, and it, with all due respect, Mr. Wingnut, those are really compelling questions that we have discussions about you bet. on an ongoing basis. So uh, thank you for bringing those to our attention. They're, they're very, very well put. Go ahead. No, those, those are fantastic questions. And uh, I have a map, just to get to the first one, I, I have a map in my office of the geothermal reserves in, in North America, and uh, they're, they're vast. And, in, in, you know, just in the first couple kilometers of, of the Earth's crust, I mean, just, gosh, go look at Yellowstone. There's, there, there's plenty of geothermal energy. And I guess, you know, the way I typically view that is, you know, the, the fossil fuel resources are finite, and so, you know, my philosophy has always been one of conservation. You know, I didn't ride my bike here today, but I'm like, well, gosh, if I can ride my bike today, maybe I'll have that gasoline for tomorrow. I realize all I'm doing is making gas cheaper because I'm not buying, you know, <laughs> so reducing, the, reducing the demand. So you're, you're right. You know, if you, if, if you want to, you know, fly an airplane, uh, you know, around the planet, you're going to use some kind of fossil fuel. And, and I don't think that's going to change 
anytime soon. And, and as you said, the you know the war machine is driven by petroleum, and that's that's um, that is the case. Increasingly, though, I think it's driven by information. I think you hinted a little bit about you know what about uh, Chinese stealing uh, American-made trade secrets and. Yeah, it's a huge, huge deal. In fact, just two days ago in my office, I was drafting up a part for an electronics uh, thing that we're building there at the shop. And where's it coming from? Well, it's it's probably going to be made somewhere in Taiwan. I wish there was a, a local tool and die shop. We could just say, hey, can you pop out a million of these for us? If there is, call in right now and we'll, we'll set up a contract. Um, the uh, rare earth metal in, in Africa, I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've seen pictures of the cobalt mines, for example. Um, you got child labor, right? I, that, I've seen the photos, and, and I think we're all in agreement that that's that's terrible. I don't. We, know. Had, we had one individual who was here, I think, on, on one of your one of your shows, Bob. Well, that that talked about if you could look, if you could get a, spe- a space uh, a view from space uh, oh, right. between China and Mongolia, and he said it looks like. The craters of the moon, which, which is where they're right. mining all these rare earth metals, right. right? And he said it is completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. It is uh, there is absolutely no way of remediating that area because it's it's been, if you will, raped and mined for right. for our our batteries, for our phones, and let's move on to the next place. Right. So I I, I realize that mindset is out there, mm-hmm. and it's not. Hopefully, it's not America, but it is out there. Right. So I, I want to ask you a question. To Peter's point here. And uh, what uh, the gentleman brought up, there's no question the industrial world is built on oil. Mm -hmm. Now, prior to that, we were still continually at war with each other. It was over some other type of resource, Mm -hmm. land, whatever the issues were. That did not change. One of the issues that I hear constantly is if we can move to a renewable world, we can eliminate the tensions that result from these battles over fossil fuels. I'm not so sure that there won't be new battles over who controls what, leading to conflict as well. And it just moves in a different direction. But the issue and concept hasn't changed. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we're up against the break. Yeah. We, also have, we also have an app question that somebody sent in. That's we're going to get bomb. to that uh, in just a moment. By the way, all of our phone lines are open at 721-1290. Bradley Layton joining us here in the studio along with Bob Seidenschwartz. We would love to get more input, in, input from you folks. We'll be back after this. Yeah, we are working hard on trying to solve all the problems, uh, the energy problems of the world on this program, and, and we could sure use your, 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 your help uh, or your input. Now, uh, Nick, we have an app question. What, uh, what's going on? Uh, yeah, Dan said, I remember when trucks were the primary vehicle using diesel fuel and the price was a third the price of gasoline. He said electricity in the home is cheap now. What do you think is going to happen when all cars are electric? Oh, in terms of the price of electricity, is the price of electricity going to go up or, or down? I believe that. that. that yeah, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Right. When all cars go, become electric. Well, that is a fantastic question. I don't, I don't think I'd actually considered that specific question. You know, and, and again, if it's, just, if it's just purely supply and demand, and if there is more demand, what we might see, what I, what I think we might start to see maybe in Montana, we don't see it right now, but um, Sri Lanka, for sure, California also, you see tariffs, you see sort of time of day usage. And so it could be that, let's just say you do have an electric car, you drive it to work, you park it, you actually use the battery 
in your car as storage while it's sunny out and the thing's not moving. So you, you, we might actually see sort of a interesting symbiosis between uh, energy storage technologies and sort of time of day costs. Um, right, you know, right now even, and again, Northwestern Energy is, is one that we see a lot. If you're a large commercial user, they will charge you for peak usage. So if you're using energy faster than someone else, they'll charge you for kilowatts rather than kilowatt hours. And that I, I would see that starting to come into play when that transition happens. I, I, oh, sorry. I made a comment to you uh, when we were taking a break that the more I know, the less I'm able to explain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Think about that for a minute. Because sure. What the reference is for me We've heard continually that you're going to need to have more electricity delivered uninterrupted. We have an aging infrastructure. I don't know that anybody knows what the ultimate cost is for bringing this infrastructure up to par so that we have uninterrupted demand, high, low points of electricity, especially if you're going to continue to electrify Mm -hmm. the economy. If it works in the way it has in the past, somebody's going to have to make a massive capital investment. And somebody's going to have to have a demand of return on that investment. Now, we will have more diversification, I'm mm-hmm. sure, yeah, to the point you were making earlier. Yeah. But will there still be the need for a centralized type of energy electric generating facilities nationally? Right. Well, I know we are starting to see the the grid start to diversify and become more distributed. I mean, just look at the solar panels on right. houses. So that, that trend you know, certainly will continue, as will... Uh, more diverse energy storage systems. We've got a lot of customers now that aren't, you know, necessarily getting batteries in their house because they think, uh, oh, I'm going to be green or whatever. It's like, no, I'm, I'm afraid the grid is going to go down. They sort of might fit in the classic sort of prepper categories. Like, no, I'm going to keep my lights on if, if the grid goes down. So it's their own sort of localized uh, resiliency. And, and, I, and I know Jeff is listening out there, so this uh-huh. is for you, Jeff. Okay. All this discussion is predicated in the, in the way that I think about this as, this is all great, it's wonderful. Where are the workers coming from? Oh, right. <laughs> Where are the experts that are going to be able to have to, just like when you need the plumber, the electrician today, we're really setting up the economy for a new demand right. of specialty types of workers. Right. And what I see right now is, they're not there. Right. Well, the uh, Missoula College, I, I happen to know Missoula. Uh, well, you, you, you work right next to those folks. Mm-hmm. They're on that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're, they're constantly looking for young people or older people who want to get into this type of business and get in on the ground floor and learn and innovate. Uh, I'm sure that's, that's going on right now. It is. And I, I feel super lucky right now. One of my own students is, is working with me on a daily basis. And some of my former students, you know, were, were in or still are in the solar industry. Um, maybe some of these uh, uh, so-called tech firms that I was mentioning before, you know, with, with the layoffs, maybe we can get some of them, uh, you know, turning some screwdrivers and et cetera for for building the infrastructure that's going to be required. You bet. We have we have Candy who's waiting on the line for us right now. Candy, good morning. You're on with Bradley Layton and Bob Seidenschwartz. Go ahead, please. Hi, I was wondering. I can't remember what. I think it was like some kind of plasma motor, but from the uh, Atlas Shrug series. I just saw that. I know. So why can't we, I mean, I understand why they don't, the government doesn't want us to have it because like the power companies would be 
gone. Right. But he built that. Can they build in something like that now that would be clean energy? Well, sorry, I missed your name. Candy. Candy. Well, what, thank, Candy. Great, good question, Candy. But one thing, and when I was on the faculty at Missoula College, I would see these things come through all the time. You know, billionaire powers his home with his bicycle. And, and, <laughs> and uh, I think you have to be yeah. a little bit careful. And, and, and it's funny, I just rented Atlas Shrugged from the Missoula Library, watched it over the uh, break with, with my daughter. And, you know, and that was a, a symbol or a, a dramatization to show that, uh, you know, the, that, uh, Ayn Rand, the, the, right? Yeah. And the government shouldn't come in and steal your ideas and force you to do things or you're going to go off to well, John, John Galtland. Like that's what they're trying to do to us now. <laughs> well, I, you know, back to one of these other questions. We, uh, someone was like, you know, Leighton, how much of your funding comes from federal versus private sources? And, you know, a couple examples I was thinking of was, gosh, you know, like the Manhattan Project, for example. And, you know, was was a yeah. private company? No, we had we had to have federal sources to fund that. Or just think of, you know, Bletchley Park when Alan Turing was cracking the Enigma machine during World War II. I mean, those were definitely, yeah. you know, federally funded uh Projects and, and they were also secret. That's very secret, right? Yeah. And and I yeah. think quite critical to uh, uh, you know the turn you know major turning points in, in history. So uh, you know in, information and energy are, are, are certainly not unrelated. Candy, thanks for the call. But is there something? Is there something like that though that they could build that would be once you got it started, you don't have to do anything with it. It just Oh, well, I, I've, I've had a few perpetual motion uh, folks call me and, and usually it ends up in a you know discussion of thermodynamics and, and um, well, we, I'd be happy to talk about it, you know, at some other point, but it, it becomes a pretty Are long conversation. Are you technology school? Um, I'm no longer at Missoula College. Are you in the building? Oh, you're not there. But are you in that building that's next door that used to be the little place? Montech. I had a lab at Montech for a while, but yeah. you you could also find me at humanpoweredfuture.com if you like, Sandy. Okay, thank, thank you, Candy. Okay. Candy. Thanks for the call. We're going to take a quick break. Come right back. We have Doug and JR who want to visit with you. Our, our guests here in the studio, Bradley Layton, and along with Bob Seidenschwartz, it's the Montana World Affairs Council on the radio. Back after this. Authentic New York bagels and pastries. Okay, we're back on Talkback. Oh, what you guys missed during the breaks. Yeah. Anyway, 721-1290 is our number. Uh, our guest in the studio, Bradley yes. Layton and Bob Seidenschwartz. Doug has been waiting the longest. Hey, Doug, thank you for holding. Go ahead, sir. Well, about uh, a dozen years ago, my daughter and I bought two guided tours of China. Mm. And uh, as I remember, this lasted about 25 days and they took us to all of the major cities in China, and we got to experience everything uh, that uh, they thought you know Americans and people in the world should should see and and experience. And one of the things we experienced in practically every city was the air pollution mm -hmm. caused by the vehicles. And when they took us to one uh, large town, and they explained to us. The reason we had to get off our bus and into a special bus that could only uh, navigate in that town, um, that no vehicles from outside the town could come into the town unless they were on compressed natural gas. Mm -hmm. And I will be, I was, we were so surprised to see 
that the air pollution uh, was not visible in this town because every uh, motorcycle and every car and bus and truck was running on depressed natural gas. And they also told us that some families had, um, when they heat their houses in the wintertime with uh, natural gas, but they would have a device uh, in their garage that compressed natural gas during the night, and then they would put it into their automobile in the morning and drive to work. And I've never heard of anything like that being discussed uh, anywhere except in that town in China. What do you know about it? And it, it seems like a good idea. What do you think? Wow, interesting concept. Uh, th- thanks for the call. Yeah, thanks. So um, I I wish I had been along with that trip. My daughter actually spent 10 weeks in China a few years ago, and I, I don't think she was in a place where there was quite that much pollution. And I don't know if they had, you know, similar topography that we have here in Missoula where you've got, um, uh, you know, a valley condition. And, yeah, there there have been compressed natural gas vehicles around for, for decades. And in terms of, you know, the availability, you know, one, one thing we typically see here in Missoula is somebody gets a, uh, a foreign-made automobile and where do you get the thing serviced? So, it, it, again, it just becomes, you know, is, is there enough uh, infrastructure in place to service newer technologies like that? So, yeah, is it doable? Certainly you've seen it. But on the other hand, uh, how how widely adoptable or adaptable is it, you know, based on what you've got locally to service that? And it's also uh, very much a product of cost. Mm-hmm. Um, natural gas has been considered the bridge between what is a improvement over coal mm-hmm. for electric generation and this move towards renewables. And China still is building actively coal plants almost on a weekly basis. And not too many months ago, when faced with the issues of the pollution and all the consequences during the pandemic, the decisions were made. We still have to keep the economy going. And coal actually was ramped up in terms of its usage. And in case you're wondering where all those rail cars of yeah, coal that yeah. head out of Missoula are headed? Look, the, the, right. these are the periods right. of time where this transition is going to be messy. Yeah. And China, more than anybody, understands the health cost right. and the consequences. And they, interestingly, for a country as large as they are, don't have a lot of natural gas resources. Where the natural resources are, are in a part of the country where water is not available, which is critical for building out the infrastructure to get the natural gas to the populated centers. Okay, with that, we're up against, uh, we we need to get back to the phone. JR is waiting. JR, thank you for holding. You're on with Bradley Layton and Bob Seidenschwartz. Hi. Yeah, I had read an article by James Hansen. He's been called the father of global warming. He was like the first scientist back in the 80s to alarm that the Earth was warming. And anyway, in the article, he said that if the United States reduced our greenhouse emissions to 0% tomorrow, According to his calculations, by the end of the century, 2100, it would only reduce the temperature by two-tenths of one degree. Any comment on that? Oh, interesting. Thanks. Thanks for the call. That, that is a great question. And one thing that I started following was this so-called Keeling curve that was, you know, dis, you know first discovered in, in Hawaii in the 50s. And, and um I'm trying to remember the gentleman's first name, but he was, you know, sent there basically to measure how much CO2 is in the atmosphere. And he noticed that it would go up and down every year, you know, depending on how much photosynthesis was happening in, in the atmosphere. So as, as trees uh, take on carbon dioxide, the, the CO2 level goes down as um, 
winter comes and, and more combustion takes place, it goes up. But it was it was slowly, well, not slowly, well, it's ratcheting up. And if you look at it, the, the, the rate is um, increasing more. And so I, I looked into this quite a bit when we were at Missoula College. And one experiment that I, I still would, would love to do would just be to have a few tanks with different greenhouse gases in them. And you could just do this just really in, a, in literally a greenhouse is see how much heat those different gases trap. And I have read other papers, just like you mentioned, where if we do stop all combustion now, uh, will the atmosphere continue to rise, which, you know, brings us into the topic of, gosh, you know, one big volcanic eruption would cool the planet right back down. So there could be some some uh, <laughs> punctuated events that, that would uh, arrest that in, in a hurry. So... Um, Anyway, great question. All right, so let's get one more call in before we have to take a break. Ed, good morning. You're on with Bradley Layton and Bob Seidenschwartz. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Uh, we were recently in western Washington at a Safeway grocery store, and there was a charging station there uh, with an hour and a half limit, uh, I think. They want you to shop for an hour, hour and a half. Yeah. Uh, but it, in any event, it finished, the description finished, said, uh, welcome to the free electrons. Okay, there was no charge wow. for uh, no no financial charge for charging your electric vehicle. Wow. And I, it made me think: is this is this common across the U.S. to get uh, free uh, electricity to charge your EV? Well, Greg, good question. It, re- it reminds me of it. Was that a minimum or a maximum on that hour and a half? <laughs> Maybe they want yeah. you to, just, to <laughs> stay, stay in the store. I was, I was listening to how um, professional sporting ticket prices have dropped. And it's like, wow, how, how could that happen? You know, what prices go down? Well, they want to get you in the door, so you, so you buy the T-shirts and the popcorn and everything like that. So I, I don't know. It, it could, could just have been that that was a loss leader. I, 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 I don't know. I assure you. Somebody is paying for it. Sure. <laughs> uh, and either it's, coming, well, yeah. either it's coming out of a subsidy from Safeway, mm-hmm. who is making that available simply because they know more customers use electric vehicles, or who developed the charging stations may be using this, to Brad's point, as a lost leader. State of Montana, I believe, has made it and is building out charging stations across the state. Now, money circulates. So whether it's coming from the state and your taxes... Mm-hmm. Or the feds, it's still money coming from someplace. Ed, Ed, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. We're going to come right back. Uh, We still have uh, less waiting to visit with us. We'll do that after this one-minute timeout. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back on TalkBack. 721-1290 is the number. Only about uh, seven or eight minutes left. Uh, Visiting with Bradley Layton, and uh, we're having a great time with him. Let's get Les on the line. Les, good morning. You're on. Yes, hello. Uh, Probably finding uh, alternative sources of energy is a good thing, but will we not still continue to need oils for lubrication, for bearings, for greases, for various kinds of industrial uh, affairs? Uh, I don't think we'll ever run out of our needs for oil. I'll listen online. Okay, thanks for the call. Yes. <laughs> and thank you for going. <laughs> yeah. No. And and one thing I was was following a little bit is, you know, during I guess during the pandemic the um demand for transportation fuels was was dropping and so a lot of these uh you know fossil fuel companies said, "Well, gosh, we're we're still pumping this out of the ground. What are we going to do with it?" And so a lot of it is moving into materials. We were talking a little bit about plastic earlier and 
You're, you're absolutely right, though. I, I think we'll always find new uses for it, just as we were saying before, we might find new uses for, for coal as well, even just, you know, using these existing mining permits to go for not only the energy and the carbon, but also for the, the metals that, that uh, coexist with it. Yeah, currently transportation accounts for the largest amount of energy, i.e. oil usage. And we were talking off air about bio. There's work taking place right now on the bio side, which could be synthetic substitutes for certain clothing, plastics and such that we use. Right, yeah. And and one of the things I I, I still, in the back of my little... uh, patent mine maybe, maybe uh, someone's going to steal my idea right now but <laughs> but uh i i would love to see you know someone do some biotech where you you synthesize an enzyme a protein something that's actually you know bringing in carbon dioxide just like uh you know plants do and you know taking that carbon and rather than you know making cellulose making ligandin making the, the the various components that you'd see in an organism manufacture carbon nanotubes you know make make uh uh, carbon fiber for tennis rackets or whatever, and then uh, you know the the oxygen just goes back into the atmosphere. So I, I could I could see a cool future where biotech and energy tech and the, the whole sustainability thing sort of folds into each other. Okay, we we still have uh, five minutes left in our in our time together, gentlemen. So uh, so Brad, talk a little bit about uh, where you are going as a operating business mm-hmm. and some of those challenges that uh, you'll have to confront. Sure. So the, the, there are four different things that we're working on right now, and you know some of it's just small residential solar. And one of the things we've we've seen recently is uh, a few legal challenges, you know, with building code and things like that. Uh, Missoula has actually cut through some red tape in Missoula and said, you know, if if you want to put solar on your roof, you don't have to go out and pay for a building permit. All this, if if you get a letter from a licensed professional engineer saying, yeah, that roof is fine. It can support the extra three pounds per square foot. You're good to go. You don't have to go and get a, a building permit, just just a letter. Um, with the things that we're doing out in eastern Montana, a lot of the, a lot of the challenges just sort of seem to be, um, you know, tied up in getting the, the funding actually through for whatever reason. And then I, I think, you know, with the Northern Cheyenne, they had to go through their own tribal council. There was, there was sort of this litigation and et, et cetera. So a lot of it just ends up being, um, you know, not necessarily technological, but more political or bureaucratic or, or whatever. And so I, I, I spent a lot of my time doing that. And then also just the, uh, the information to monitor these systems. You know, uh, you know, how much is my system making? Is it going to pay back? And then... You know, maybe even down the road, are are we going to have the facilities to recycle these materials? You think of all all the different materials that went into building, well, just about anything. You know, what what what's what's the life cycle of that look like? And you know, can we do better manufacturing? Uh, you know, here in Missoula, for example, and I'd, I'd love to see that happen. So that's that's where I would love to move. You know, on with my you know next career, if you will. And for people that are listening, where? Do they get in touch with you if they have interest in some of the projects you're working on and your business? Sure. So I've, I've got a website. I just call it, as I mentioned before, humanpoweredfuture.com. I've, I finally got my human-powered-future email 
set up, and I, I, I even have business cards ah! with a QR code. So hold, hold, uh, hold it up to the camera so we can see. <laughs> yeah, it. My, my my daughter designed this. Well, I was doing all this oh, very this, cool this work as a as a structural engineer, and these these uh, construction guys would hand me these metal cards, and I'm like, okay, I've I've got to up my game a little bit. <laughs> ah! uh, <laughs> all right, now here's the important question. Is it sustainable? Well, it, you, you can't kill it, right? You, you can't kill yeah, it. That's, that's actually very that's gonna, nice. That's going to be around. Uh, I also want to mention that... Uh, Just go ahead and write the number down for us, if you don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. Bradley is going to be one of the guest speakers at City Club. Right. On February 13th. So uh, we have another opportunity for those of you that either have gone to City Club to please right. attend, or if you haven't, um, those are open. I believe that's going to be at the Double Tree on the 13th. That's going to be a lot of fun. Looking yeah. forward to now, it. From what I understand, uh, in order to attend, you have to be uh, a member of City Club. Is that right? But <laughs> but the, what the, what they do is they broadcast it on MCAT uh, on their on their free local channel. So if you're not able to get there in person, you can drop in and listen in. And there will be there will be a slideshow that time, some visuals. Yes. As well. yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. So so let me ask: Is well, we have like a minute and a half left. What what do you enjoy most about what you do? I enjoy all the problems are a little bit the same, so I've been doing it long enough that I, I feel like I'm usually good at it. But there's always some some new twist or some turn, and education is is still a big part of it. I, I love people have questions. You know, just even today, I mean, that's that's what I love about coming on the show. People have have questions, and I get a little bit of chance to say, oh, I hadn't really thought about that, and you know, I'll, I'll get to go back and and do some research on some of the things. So that, and you get to be a teacher. That's 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 really my favorite yeah. part of it. Have you had that aha moment where something truly dramatic changed in all the years that you've been doing this? Every day. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Every day I do. Aha, what did I forget today? Gentlemen, we are we are out of time. Thank you so much for both of you for being here. Bradley, it's always a pleasure That's seeing great. you. Thanks, Peter. Thanks for sharing your expertise well. with us. Now, Nick, what's coming up on tomorrow's fabulous program, sir? Uh, Speaker of the House, Matt Regeer, will join us from 8.30 to 9, and then we'll have open phones. All right. So, uh, Matt Regeer is the Speaker of the House. He is a really good guy, and uh, uh, he has, he, he'll be loaded with information and, and ready to take your phone calls, too. So, you guys get out there and make it a great day. We'll see you tomorrow morning, bright and early, at 6 o'clock for another exciting edition of Montana Morning. See you then.